My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, what shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I'm removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors one by one to the first He said, how much do you owe my master? He replied, 100 measures of olive oil. He said to him, here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. Then to another, the steward said, and you, how much do you owe? He replied, 100 cores of wheat. The steward said to him, here's your promissory note. Write one for 80. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you're not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Gospel of the Lord. Why are we experiencing probably more polarization more division than perhaps at any time in our collective memories. If you did just a quick Google search, or possibly to prove my point even more immediately, if you find Google controversial and now you're using DuckDuckGo or some other site, and you typed in the words America Divided, you would find practically every mainstream media site having some relatively recent piece on this topic. The Associated Press, for example, has this multimedia series that talks about how this has gone from just political debates that would royal people around every election time to seemingly everything. Racial diversity, philosophical ideologies, economic issues, even bathrooms have become battlefields. Time Magazine is probably one of the few that did some self-reflection noting how the media, how at one time helped revolutionize the world with the the speed and the ability to share information has also 
contributed to this fracturing and this widening of the divide between peoples. Even the truths that people would often rely on to agree to disagree doesn't seem acceptable anymore. Majorities of people are, are expressing not simply feeling divided and tense, but almost that like the whole culture and the whole world is adrift as a people with fewer and fewer things to unify us. That's not surprising. And at the core, much of the, the problem is the collapse of trust that people have in one another. Institutions that were seen as working for the common good, corporations and companies that were seemingly impartial, even politicians who, while having different agendas and maybe different approaches to things, were thought to be working on some shared goal, have all seen those images eroded, if not destroyed completely. A recent Gallup survey said that some of the professions that historically have been viewed the most positively by the general public for decades that they've been asking that question, which is the most prestigious careers and stuff, are now at the lowest levels they've ever found. Now, no doubt, the COVID pandemic and the aftermath have been a, a massive contributing factor. A lot of these realities, though, were, were simmering, if not slowly boiling, before this time of extended period of uncertainty and fear and anger, and that's only worse than that. This lack of trust in all these different sectors unnerves us so dramatically because so many of us have experienced that on personal levels where you've had a, a breaking of, of trust where you remember a family member who's done something that's betrayed you or maybe a friend who's backstabbed you. And it can lead people to being really bitter and jaded and cynical thinking that there's no one worthy of trust. Among the thousands of words spilled on this very cheery topic, there's one obvious area that wasn't discussed as to why this is all happening. And that's the growing number of people who've turned away from God. You'll find some commentators who will blame religious figures and institutions for contributing to this dangerous mess. And without a doubt, there have been plenty of faith leaders who have failed spectacularly and diminish people's view of the role of religion. So we can't pretend or ignore that reality either. But one of the things that has been this growing phenomenon is that when people have been asked what their religious affiliation is, those responding none as the is like the fastest growing group identified. Now sometimes people will lump all these people as atheists, meaning that they don't believe in God at all. But that's not always true. There's a sizable number who were raised in different faith traditions, but maybe have walked away from them. And some, understandably, have been hurt by the scandals or maybe experienced abuse themselves. Some may have left out of confusion. Perhaps they never really learned the truth of their, their church's teachings and how to wrestle with those teachings when they conflict with feelings or desires or what everyone else is saying or doing or proposing in the world. But there's a sizable number of people that I suspect simply have lost that, that sense of importance, the, the centrality of God in their lives and how, what he expects of his people. And that's not just true for those who describe themselves as none. That can affect all of us as well. That's the reality that hit me with this parable this week, a parable that 
I'll be honest, is the one that always vexes me, that I struggle with far more than most, especially coming from where we were last week. Last Sunday, we hear what's considered the most beloved, most popular of Jesus' parable is the prodigal son. Well, Luke has Jesus immediately following that with today's parable, which is one of the least favorite, most confusing, and most controversial parables. We hear this guy, the sneaky guy who's rewriting all these debts to try to make friends just in case he's fired by his employer. It sounds like Jesus is praising the very acts of deception that would be the essence of violating trust, the very thing that we're bemoaning as we take view of the world in which we live, in our own worlds. But what makes a parable such an effective teaching tool is that we're meant to kind of struggle and to think about it, and yeah, even pray with it, as we keep trying to say, what is God asking or saying here? Because it's not like God hasn't been clear in establishing morality with us, telling us what something's right and something's wrong, what's good, what's evil. We have at least 10 that we know of, right? You know, And I can tell you that there's at least many times that people in humanity have found loopholes and manipulated those 10 and found exceptions to them that never existed. For example, take honoring the, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to be a, a day of rest, a beautiful time where we're meant to simply love being with God by worshiping him at Mass and being with family and friends. Well, the first reading today from the prophet Amos points out that even hundreds of years before Jesus, the people of God were violating that. He points out they couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over because they were frustrated that they were losing opportunities to make profits. They're like, when will this end so we could sell wheat again? So just by their hearts and their minds being distracted by their profits and what they were losing, they were already not honoring the Sabbath. Well, in our day and age, that's only intensified. Our, our busy lives, our, our nonstop natures, where we're constantly trying to squeeze just one more thing in, has even the most faithful and devout of people running from mass to shopping and not even thinking about how this convenience contributes to a world where others have to work, especially those who are poor. This has been something that's been on my heart a lot the last couple of years. I've been really trying to be mindful of that and say, all right, I can't go to the shop right on my way home from Mass. I can't stop for the gas station. i got to make sure I fill up beforehand. Last Sunday, so um, on Facebook, of course, and I see something's on sale, and I click on the thing. I'm like, oh, that's actually a really good price. It's only $15. And I start filling the whole stupid form out, and then I remember it's Sunday. I'm like, I just typed the whole credit card number in. I got the expiration date. Like, it's all done. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to hit the button. Like, it's not that big a deal. And then I, I immediately feel guilty about it. So just so you know, Catholic guilt also affects priests as well. But I digress. But it's an important digression. Because that one commandment is probably the one that most of us break on a regular basis. And I can tell you, that's the one I hear the least in the confessional. So we have very clear commands, though, from God telling us what's right and what's wrong that we can sometimes forget or for even dismiss. So Jesus uses parables as a way to get people's attention and cause his listeners to kind of wrestle with what is he saying. And in this one, we have a lot to wrestle with. Jesus is not advocating white-collar crime. He's not saying deception's the way to go or telling his disciples 
They need to find ways to be creative and cut corners to get what they need or what they want. The key to understanding this, this parable is when Jesus says, the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. So what he's saying is the master and the servant, they've made this choice to pursue the things of this world. They put all their trust in the wealth and the riches and the money and getting ahead. So in a sense, it's not shocking that their focus is going to be solely based on profits and losses, how those things are mitigated, who owes who what, and how to make a better deal. For both the master and the servant, their lives are completely shaped by those things, and they operate accordingly. So Jesus is pointing out, imagine if those who choose to follow him had that kind of dedication, that type of single-minded focus to always be thinking, to always be acting in ways that reflect that they're children of the light, like the steward does in being a child of the world. Because a lot of our cynicism and our disappointment that all things in the world that we, we see that we've lost trust in kind of says that we want it all. We want to be both of the world and also have this dual citizens, dual citizenship in God's kingdom as well. In truth, why are most people here at Montclair State? You are here to get an education and get the skills necessary to get a career and to set you up for the rest of your life. And careers and skills and money, they're all important things. And politicians, employers, teachers, even priests, all have their roles to play in our lives. But as sinful human beings, each of us in the institutions that we're a part of, we're prone to scandal, we're prone to failure, we're prone to sin. So Jesus reminds us that we're to make him our master, to put our trust in him. And we have to allow him to guide and shape our lives. And with that as our focus, with him as our focus, yeah, we're going to have disappointments, but we can remain joyful knowing that he hasn't disappointed us. We can even possess things of this world, but not be possessed by them because we see that their value doesn't compare to the eternal value that Jesus brings into our lives. Jesus ends the gospel by saying, we can't serve both God and mammon, or in other words, we can't both serve him and pursue the things of this world. Knowing how trustworthy a master he is, if we choose to put our trust in the things of this world, we can't be that surprised if we end up disappointed.